The Hot Nerds Bog is a subscription and advert-free podcast. Please help us keep it that way by either donating or purchasing products from our store. Or alternatively, you can give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Just follow the link in the description below. Thank you and we hope you enjoyed the show. Welcome to the hut near the bog. As the last rows of turf are cut on the Irish boglands and nature begins to take its steady hold, the beauty of this forgotten landscape is being reborn and flourishes for all to see. Once viewed as a wasteland, only considered useful as a supply of peat, the bog is now being reconceived as a place of stunning natural beauty and wonderment. One of the people at the forefront of this quiet but potent revolution is Tina Claffey. Having exhibited her work in New York, San Francisco, Botswana, Zambia and throughout Ireland, Tina is considered to be the preeminent photographer of the Irish boglands. In this first of two interviews, Tina tells us how she ended up working as a nature photographer in the pristine wilderness of the African nation of Botswana. Tina, first of all, good morning, and it's lovely to have you on the podcast. And I'm fascinated by your work, so I'd like you perhaps to tell me a little bit about your earliest memory and also growing up in Bor. What was that like? Hi, Sheila. Yeah, delighted to be here. Uh, thanks so much for inviting me. Um, yeah, I'm I'm from I'm from Bor. Um, grew up in Bor and um, grew up in a in a on a small residential street. Moore Park Street, and uh, I suppose my earliest memory is 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 my. T- I spent a lot of time in the garden at the back. We had a small little garden at the back, but it opened up to a kind of a, a massive communal kind of garden, which was almost like a big field at the back of the of the houses, and it was just wild, um, unkempt kind of an area. So um, I spent a lot of my time there. Um, it was a big lilac tree there and it was hollow on the inside. So we used to um, play house in there and it was just wild, a wild, wild area. Um, so, yeah, a lot of a lot of good memories from there with my little dog. And um, <laughs> um, I suppose I was a bit of a tomboy when I was younger. Um, I spent a lot of time outdoors. Um, um, there's a river running through Burr. Lot, did a lot of swimming, um, catching pinkies, bringing them home in jars, putting them into, putting them into uh, old margarine tubs, and yeah, I suppose I, I, I suppose I loved nature really from the start, um, in that way, um, yeah. So, so I, I had a lovely, carefree kind of a childhood. Excellent. That sounds amazing. And it seems to me, listening to you, that perhaps that wilderness at the very back where that communal garden was, um, it, it influenced you in your later years. Yeah, I suppose it did. Would that um, be true to say? I'd say so, yeah. And like my dad was a huge nature lover. And uh, sure, we grew up watching Garrett Van Gelderen and all of those um, to the waters in the wild. Do you remember those programs that used to be on the telly? And like, of course, the David Attenborough program. Yes. We were, we were, grew up watching those. My dad was fascinated with nature. And um, I mean, he used to teach us the, the bird songs. He was able to hear them. He was an amazing whistler and he was able to whistle a tune of like the blackbird or the robin. And 
he's we could be in the like on Saturdays was our our day that we'd all be working together um like up the back of that wild field um we we had a little plot where we would um grow veg so we'd spend a Saturday like picking stones <laughs> and um you know he'd Excellent. we'd be in the middle of that and he'd he'd stop and say what's that what's that bird Tina you know and he'd I'd listen to it and uh it was like a test you know and so I to this day I know the sound I know the tunes of the of the main ones like the blackbird the wren the robin um the thrush so it, it kind of stayed with me you know yeah and do you feel your dad heightened your awareness of nature oh absolutely absolutely he his his he 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 was he he a real he's a real gentle soul he's he's gone from us now but um he um he was he's very influential that way with nature with me i remember i remember with us as a i remember as a very young child um he found a hedgehog in that wild area at the back and i remember being so fascinated he brought me up and we walked around it slowly and the dog was going crazy and we had to bring the dog away and uh, just just to see that wild creature in our garden it was just fantastic um yeah so yeah you know I can definitely say he was a a strong influence when it came to nature yeah and you seem to have had a beautiful childhood and you have really good childhood memories is that fair to say oh absolutely yeah yeah um oh absolutely I mean every every Sunday we used to go somewhere I mean it was never extravagant or anything but we'd We'd go for a drive, go for a walk. We'd go to Portumna Forest Park. We'd go, we'd go out to the um, up to the mountains, up to the Sleep Blooms. Um, we always went somewhere on a Sunday, you know, for a few Excellent. hours. And, but otherwise, we, I was I was gone from doing morning till dusk. Really, I was out, gone. I was a real tomboy. I was out climbing trees, swimming in rivers, all of that kind of thing. Yeah, and perhaps that's real living, you know, and something that I think children perhaps don't get as much of now. Yeah, oh no, absolutely. I'm so glad we didn't have phones in those days. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it was it was a real, yeah, it was a very carefree kind of a kind of a a childhood, which which I loved. You know, I really really loved it. Excellent. And tell me then, Tina, when were you introduced to the bog and what's your earliest memory of it? Um, I was, we were, my dad had a small plot um, in, um, just on the border of Westmeath. Um, and we used to go there, I think my earliest time going there, I'd say I was about eight or nine. Um, he used to, he used to cut turf with the, with the, with the schlon or the schlain or whatever it's called. Um, and, uh, you know, you'd see, we were very, it, it was a full day. We'd go with the sandwiches and the tea and the whole lot. Um, but I used to look on the bog as, as kind of a wasteland, not a wasteland, but you know, not, not something that was very much alive, but my dad used to absolutely adore going there. He loved it. I suppose it was from his own childhood. He spent a lot of time in the bog and, um, yeah, so my memories there were were of 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 hard work and hardship, really, <laughs> of turning it and footing it and bagging it and bringing it home. And um, but my dad loved it. He 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 just loved the whole essence of it. But but for us, it was it was it, we looked on it as kind of hardship. We're like, oh no, we're going to the bog, <laughs> you know, because we we knew yeah. we'd be working hard for that day. 
Um, yeah. yeah. You know. And it's it's interesting that you should say that about the hardship. And little did you know that it was almost your destiny to return to it in a, in a different format. Oh, unbelievable. And do you know what? I think my dad would be kind of looking over me on that. I'd say he's quite happy that I that I did really saw what he kind of saw. He definitely saw so much more there that um, I grew to, to, to see as well, you know. Um, Excellent. And Tina, can I ask you, where did you discover that you had an eye and a flair for photography? Well, it kind of happened by chance, really. Um, I went to college, I went to art college after school, um, after the Leaving Cert, I, w- I went to art college in Cork, and I thought I was going to be a painter. I was convinced I was going to be a painter, but part of the module in, in college, in art college, you, you were kind of thrown into everything to do with art, sculpture, printmaking, and photography was one of them, and it was pre-digital, so um, we used to roll our own film and um, print our own images in black and white in the dark room and we'd be sent off with our cameras um into the city and um we'd come back then all excited to to roll i was hooked i was really hooked kind of from the start even the smell of the chemicals i used to get excited at the thought of printing these images used to come up in the dark um in 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 the dark room and i it just blew my mind i i was really hooked from the start and i suppose Learning photography through art was a was a wonderful thing because it taught me how to we were taught really how to think and look at things from a different perspective. Um, so that was that was a really um, great thing, I think. And um, yeah, and, and then after that, I worked with a, with a, I worked for, as an assistant with a German photographer. Now, that was that was a real learning curve because that was very technical. He did fashion and industrial photography. Um, so my learning curve was very steep there. I mean, w- technical wise, we didn't learn huge amounts in art college, um, but I learned a lot. I learned actually, I'd say I learned more in a month with him technical wise than I ever did in college. So, that, so I'm grateful for, to him for that. I mean, that was it was amazing experience working with him. And do you think, uh, Tina, that actually being exposed to different aspects of photography makes you find your real niche area in the end? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, obviously, I, I, I love nature from the start, but but I didn't really start with nature photography. Um, it was it was I was in the city, so it was all cityscapes and portraits and that kind of thing. And and actually, for my for my degree show, I. I based my photography on my family, on the male and the female and um, traditions and traditional kind of um, rituals that they would do. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I, the whole nature thing didn't really start until I ended up in Africa. Um, and that was a that was a, a strange kind of road that le- led me there as well, um, because I was working with a German photographer we were doing fashion and industrial photography and one of one of our one of our um jobs was to go to Kenya um to photograph wedding dresses on safari i mean how bizarre is that <laughs> i went as an assistant to kenya for two weeks with excellent with, with the photographer and um that that was that opened the door for me that um experience of even that two weeks made me think I have to go there I have to you know when I got back to Ireland I was I was like no no I have to go back 
I don't care where in Africa, because the smells, the sounds, the everything about Africa just enthralled me. I was completely and utterly entranced by it. Um, so I made my way to try and get back to Africa. And um, I happened to be out for, for lunch with, with Jorg, my boss, one day, and um, after we had come back, and he was reading the newspaper and I was having soup and uh, he started to laugh and I was like, what are you laughing at? And he said, oh, I found you, you're a perfect man. So I was like, what are you talking about? And he, what, he was looking at this article about this guy who had, um, who had won the Bachelor of the Year competition in 1999. And uh, his name is Graham McCulloch. And uh, he, had, he had won this Bachelor of the Year competition, but he was based in Botswana, in Southern Africa. He had come home to enter the competition. So I read up about him anyway, and he was doing flamingo research in Botswana. So I was like, my God, sure, isn't this a great opportunity? I mean, he's Irish. He's bound to know, have some contacts for me or link me or, or get me get me there somehow. So um, so I contacted the newspaper where the article came from, and um, I finally got his number through them, and I rang him. <laughs> I'm sure the poor guy, he didn't Excellent. know who I was. <laughs> He didn't have a clue who I was, and I, I just I explained. I said, listen, I was in Kenya for a couple of weeks, and I, I really, I was just taken by the place. And I'm, I know you're in Botswana, but I said, if you have any contacts there, I'd love to spend time in Africa. So he said, sure, leave it with me. I'll get back to you. And um, he, at this point, he was back in Botswana. Um, so that was that. I, I didn't hear again from him for about four months. And then he just sent me an email. He sent me one line email saying, are you still keen? So I emailed back immediately and I was, I was so excited. I said, of course, I'm still keen. Um, and he said, actually, I need I need an assistant to photograph and document what I'm doing for my PhD. And he said, if you're willing to come out, Trinity College will pay for your flight. And uh, I'll put you up. You'll be staying with me. Um, so all you need is is pocket money, really, for yourself. So I was like, my God, that's amazing. It would be for three months. So I... I said absolutely yes uh, straight away without even consulting with anyone. I just said yes, I'm, I'm going to come. And this was in December, and he needed me in January. Um, so I phoned my parents and told them, and sure, they were like, "What are you doing? What are you thinking of? Sure, it's like the other side of the world you're going to." And I said, "Well, it's only for three months, you know." Anyway, they agreed. They said, "Okay, well, if you really want to do that, and if you really feel like that's what you want to do, you know, go for it." Um, so it was a big, it was a big thing because I actually had to miss my, my sister's wedding. My only sister was getting married, but yeah, it was, it, it, but it was something I had to do. I just could feel it in my bones. I, ha I had to go. It was, it was a once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah. It almost felt like it was your destiny. Oh, absolutely. Oh, completely and utterly. I, yeah. I just knew I was meant to go there. Um, and then, um, Kodak. Kodak um, sponsored me. They gave me a hundred rolls of slide film because it was still pre-digital. There was no digital film at that point. Um, so yeah, Kodak sponsored me, and uh, but I still had no money. I mean, I had very little money. So what I did, <laughs> what I did was um, I rang the Jerry Ryan show. Now the Jerry Ryan show at that time, chat show was um, had a huge listenership. It had over a million people listening to Jerry Ryan every morning. So um, I got in touch with the show. I told them I was going to meet the Bachelor of Ireland. Um, and I was 
an Irish girl going down to meet the Bachelor of Ireland and I was going to be staying with him and he's doing flamingo research. So I, I spoke to the researcher um, and then the producer of the show rang me like later that day and said and asked me a bit more about it. So I explained to him and he said, OK, he said, OK, sure. We're going to ring you on Monday morning. Um, are you free? And I said, yeah, I'm free. Um, so this was on a Friday. So um, he said, I'll, I'll ring you on Monday morning. I said, that's great. And uh, I said, looking forward to it. And uh, and then after that phone call, I went down to my camera shop in Cork and I went into them and I said, listen, I'm going to be on the Jerry Wright show <laughs> on Monday morning. And he said, I said, if I mention your names now here for this camera shop, uh, will you help me out with recruitment? And sure, it was like huge advertising for them. So they said, Tina, if you can if you can mention our names now, um, we will sort you out for equipment. So I was like, that's brilliant. I went off then to the camping, you know, the out, great outdoors. I went, to, I went to them and I did the same story. And they were like, well, if you can mention our names now, we'll sort you out with, with all the equipment you'll need to go there. Um, so that was grand. Monday morning came and um, the show rang me. And just before I went on, the researcher came up. I said, OK, Tina, now, listen, before you go on, uh, there's no you mustn't mention any. Um, there's no advertising, no looking for sponsorship, none of that now, because we're you're going live now in about 20 seconds. So just to make you aware of that. So I was like, yeah, no problem. That's fine. <laughs> and, um, uh, Jerry came on anyway. And um, it actually was a really good laugh, the, the conversation with him, because he was like, he was, you know how Jerry used to be, he was a real character, like he was like, so you're going to meet the Bachelor of Ireland and are you excited? And, you know, so we kind of played on that for a while. And it was it was actually really great conversation um, talking about going down to Africa to meet him and everything. And then at the end of the conversation, he was like, OK, Tina, well, we're going to leave you there. I just said, uh, just hold on one second, Jerry. Um, I just like to thank a few people before I before I go. Um, and he said, "Oh, okay." And uh, so I, I said, "I just want to thank McSweeney's in in Cork, and I want to thank the Great Outdoors, blah blah blah." And um, he was like, "Tina," and I was like, "Yeah." And he said, "Did you get everything for free?" <laughs> I was like, "No, no, no, no." And he was like, "Ah, oh, you're a girl after my own heart." He said, "Good luck to you," and um, that was grand. So off. Excellent. I, I, yeah. So then I went back to the camera shop, and they were like. All right, Tina, they had it all ready for me. Tina, thanks so much. Here you are now. And they gave me, a, like, it was all secondhand equipment, but um, really, really good old equipment of, um, of camera, the different lenses and into the great outdoors. They had everything ready for me. So I was, I was sorted that way then before I left, which was fantastic. Excellent, <laughs> so I know Tina. I really tensed my arm. Like, <laughs> but, um, it was kind oh, of, yeah, I, I you needed... Did, but, uh... I needed to, I, I had, you know, I I just needed the equipment before I left and everything. And I, I just didn't have funds to do it. So I just thought I'd give it a go. And um, Oh, yeah. <laughs> hope for the best. But I can, I can hear a huge entrepreneurial spirit in you. Like, obviously, you were so passionate about what you wanted to do and where you wanted to be. And you were going to leave no stone unturned to find your way there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And even up to that point, my parents, I think, didn't really think I was going. But then after that interview, um, there was a big article in the in the examiner, like um, 
photographer queen meets bachelor king and there's big articles going up nationwide and i was like oh my god it, it kind of took off after that conversation with jerry on ryan that was it was very funny um but yeah, yeah and it got great it got great exposure before i left it became a big thing you know yeah. um so yeah, so yeah and, it was great. and you turned a lot of stone since uh tina well I, you turned a lot of I stone suppose, since i suppose i have i suppose i have turned stone since yeah yeah. But, um, but yeah. the experience in Botswana was fantastic. I mean, it really, I was, it, I'm so glad Excellent. I, I took the chance to go there. Yeah. And to be honest, we are going to talk about Botswana because it seems that it impacted hugely on your life and your life as a photographer. Uh, but I, I'm just hearing in one sense that you made your own look that somebody who wouldn't be as audacious as yourself and knowing exactly what you wanted and where your destiny almost was, that you you wouldn't have made those phone calls. You wouldn't have been uh, so anxious to make sure you got in the names because you knew getting in those names was vital to you getting the wherewithal to actually go and have the necessary equipment. Well, that's it. That's it. I, I just felt very driven. I don't know what forces behind me, but I, I just knew I was going to be in Africa that following year um, after being in Kenya. I just knew it. I knew it in my bones. I was going to I was going to spend time there, um, but I didn't know how. But anyway, it, uh, I don't know. It manifested the path kind of, the path, It did. The path kind of opened up for me to go there, you know, Um it yeah, did, it did. It well, I would actually stuff. say I think you opened it up <laughs> as opposed to it opening up for you. Um, you had to push some doors in order to get there and you had to be proactive in making sure you made the right moves. And I think you did superbly well. And perhaps there's a, a big entrepreneur in you that yet hasn't manifested itself completely, oh <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah, who knows? Well, I don't know. I suppose I never looked at it like that, but... Um... But uh, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe. Very good. And we'll we'll talk about Botswana next, if that's okay with you. First of all, tell me the impact it had on you. Well, it was it was massive, Sheila. Um, I mean, I I headed off on my own there. Um, it was scary, but so exciting um, to get there. And, and and I mean, I never met the guy before either. So I was hoping like that we'd get on. But I knew the minute we met that we were going to get on well. He was just a lovely, lovely guy. Um, I flew into Haberone, which is the capital of Botswana, and then got a bus. I had to get a bus journey, which took six hours up to Francistown. And that's where I met him in Francistown. And uh, so I, as soon as I got there, I knew it was going to be okay. I knew everything was going to be okay when I met him. I was like, oh no, this guy is, is just a really nice guy. Um, and we stayed overnight. I stayed overnight in a hotel. He stayed with friends. And then the next day we drove to his camp, which is at the edge of the Makadikadi salt pans. Um, and that's where all the flamingos would come to breed. So he had a camp there. So I went from a nine to five job in, in Cork City to just really and truly being immersed in nature. Um, from the get-go it was like being in my own Attenborough movie I was sleeping in a tree I had a bucket shower um, we cooked everything on the fire we had hyenas coming into camp at night um, it was just mind-blowing 
mind blowing from the start. And it was just before the rains, before, before it was, I arrived in January and that's the wet season. And the flamingos had already arrived because the flamingos almost sense the rain is, is here. And it turned out to be the, the wettest um, year on record. Um, the, the storms that rolled in were like straight out of the movies, the thunder, the lightning, um, the heavy, heavy rains. And that filled the Makadikadi salt pans with a sheet of water. And then the, the flamingos um, would were breeded in the middle of that salt pan. It's where they were, they were at their safest, where no predator could reach them. So Graham had a microlite um, at camp. He, he had built his own little runway. So my job was to go up with him in that microlite and photograph the birds from the air. I felt like I was in out of Africa. It was just insane. Um, so photographing the birds from the air. And it was on slide film. So I was taking series of photographs and then we'd send off the send off the film to London and then we'd get them back and then we'd project these slides on the wall and put them together almost like a jigsaw. And um, I would have to quantify the birds then. I'd have to count each and every bird. And um, that was part of the research. And I also did field research with him where he was taking water samples out in the pans. Um, so I was yeah, really, really immersed in it. And it was just fantastic, just fantastic. Um, it was supposed to be for three months and that turned into a year. And in that time, um, I made a lot of contacts um, with his friends, all, all involved in the safari industry. So I came home to Ireland after one year, um, but only for a few months. I came home to have an exhibition of, my, of what I'd photographed um, for that first year. And then with the earnings on that sales of that um, of that exhibition, I flew back on a one way ticket back to Botswana. Now, not to work with Graham. Um, he was on to other things at that point. Um, I worked with the contacts I had made there. I, I was kind of thrown into the safari industry and that was fantastic as well. I ended up staying in Botswana for almost nine years. Um, and in that yeah. time, yeah, in that time, I was working with some of the best safari guides in the country. I was in, I was in pristine wilderness areas all over Botswana, um, from one camp to another camp, managing different camps, and uh, it was it was just incredible. The guides taught me how to, and, and I, this was very, for, for the work I'm doing now, very very um, influential. I was taught how to observe because you really had to be careful out on the bush, obviously. If you're in a car, you were quite safe, but once you were on foot, um, you're part of the food chain. So you had, to, you had to learn to observe. Now, not just with your eyes, obviously with your eyes, you'd look at the tracks and trails, but you had to use all the senses. You had to use your hearing. Um, if there was um, warning calls, warning calls from birds, warning calls from antelope, that was a sign there was a predator very nearby. If there was your sense of smell, if there's a smell of a carcass, you knew that there could be a kill nearby, hence there's a predator nearby. Um, so all of your senses were alert at all times. Um, and I, I, that kind of stayed with me forever. It's still with me, um, how to observe, where, where you literally, the first thing this, the guide told me was like, stop, just stop where you are and be silent and listen, watch, use all the senses. 
and go from there. So that really stood to me and it's, it's stayed with me forever. And it's, it, it was very influential in my work now in the bog, even though there's no predators there. Um, I'm not going to be killed, but um, <laughs> um, the senses are all aware when I'm out there. And I think it's, it, it's helped me with my photography. Yeah, isn't it amazing when you hear that from you, uh, Tina, and how heightened your senses are. And it sounds like some of us just sleepwalk through life in the sense that we haven't that awareness. And as a result of not having that awareness, probably we don't see things that are there to be seen every day, but we, we, we miss them because we haven't that heightened uh, senses that sounds amazing to me and it also sounds to me that uh, Botswana obviously has left an indelible imprint on your soul as well oh absolutely Sheila um they say that if you go to Africa for really any length of time it gets into the bloodstream and it, it is in my blood now um forever I mean I I I will be. I have visited since I came back. I came back in two thousand and nine. Um, I have a son, and his dad is is from Botswana, so we do visit, um, and he's been over here as well, and we we go and visit there. So so I I do get my fix. I do get to go back there and uh, and and appreciate it again. But I'm my heart is here now. I'm I'm I've made peace with being back here in Ireland now, and. Um, especially to d- discover a wilderness here that I've fallen in love with completely. Um, so, Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so if we just stay with Botswana for a few minutes, I'd love to know about, you know, the photography. And obviously, you know, to say a picture paints a thousand words. And I have looked at some of your uh, photography and I had my grandson looking at it the other night and he was fascinated by with it. He really was. And I think... You know, to say the children are the two are the true connoisseurs. They know uh, the value of everything and the price of nothing, right? But he really, really, he couldn't get over it. And I think when you have a four-year-old child feeling that way about it, it must be absolutely fantastic. So if you just maybe describe some of the really fantastic moments where you feel that you got a treasure and obviously the feedback from other people afterwards would have suggested the same um oh there's so many instances in in Botswana where I am literally the hair stands up on the back of your neck um if you are in a vehicle like it's an open vehicle on safari there you're not in a closed vehicle you're in an open safari car where um, there's no windows. Um, so you're, when you're driving in the bush there, um, the wildlife is all around you, you know? Um, there, there's nothing, there is nothing that compares with if you're, if you're in a vehicle and a lion roars behind you or beside the car. It, the whole car vibrates. It's so loud. It makes the hair just stand up on the back of your neck. It's just the most adrenaline rush. It's it's just the mo- most incredible feeling to be among these amazing species. Um, there's a huge um, population of elephants there. These gentle giants. I mean, I remember camping one night um, in a tiny little tent um, um, when I was on safari um, as as part of the staff. I mean, the, the guests were in massive, big kind of meru tents. We were in small little tents. 
And I remember an elephant walking over my tent because I had a skylight at the, in my tent and the elephant walked over my tent and I could see his, his through the windows, I could see his legs just trying to avoid the little guide ropes that hold the tent down and its stomach rumbled as it walked over my tent. It was just mind-blowing. We all, I also had an experience where um, I had lions mating outside my tent where the female was, um, they, were, they were mating and after mating, the, the, the female lashes back at the, at the male. Um, so that happened right outside my tent as well. <laughs> so I have so many experiences, but, but photography wise, um, to capture these things, um, to capture like, like herds of elephant walking through your space, um, lions just sleeping at your feet. Um, it, it's, it's just, it's just, it's very hard to describe. It's just, it's just a, an amazing, amazing, amazing feeling. Um, yeah. And I'm I'm thinking as you're speaking, it's certainly not for the faint-hearted. Not for the faint-hearted, but it but it's different when you're there, though. You're just you're in when you're in that environment. You 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 just adapt. I I it's I suppose it's not it is not for the faint-hearted, but um, but the guests that we would meet there, they would spend their whole life saving for this particular trip, and they they were they would leave different people. You know, they'd arrive all excited, but they would leave with a special something inside um because really to to experience being among being in in the wild like that is is something special um and i mean botswana is the size of france there's only two and a half million people there most and most of them live on the kind of eastern side of the country so like it's a vast country with uh, so many wild wild areas um like you have the central kalahari you have moremi you have you have the largest wetland there, largest inland delta in the world. Um, it's a it's a heritage site now. Um, I was just I just felt very privileged to be there, you know. Um, Excellent, especially living there for so long. Yeah, and you were. Yeah, I I I really felt like nine years is a long time. You know, I you know it was my home. It really was my home then. Um, in in that time. Um, yeah, and so, I think the world was very privileged that you went there because you gave them such beautiful shots that we mightn't have been privileged to see if if you hadn't gone there. So I think from that perspective, it was a two way thing. And yeah, and congratulations on doing it. It's absolutely brilliant. Oh, and you. then if oh yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. You you really have the gift, and I think. You know, they say it's an obligation, not a privilege to use the gifts we've got. But having said that, I think in many cases they lie dormant, you know, because sometimes it's fear. And as I said, if you hadn't been brave enough to follow the leads and to get yourself to Botswana, well, then obviously it would have been a missed opportunity in hindsight. Hi, folks. We really hope you enjoyed that episode. Tina's latest exhibition, Portals, is currently on display at the Riverside Art Centre in Newbridge, County Kildare. You can find out more about this and about her latest and upcoming books by following the link in the description. And also, please do consider supporting The Hut Near the Bog by either donating or purchasing products from our store. Links for both can be found in the description. 
See you next time. Bye.